couple of weeks ago, uh, as you know, we had our vacation Bible school here at the church. And uh, at a, during our announcement time, I'm going to show, we made a slideshow of, of that so you can see what was happening here. If you didn't have a chance to, to be here or weren't part of that, you can, you can see what was going on at VBS. One of the wonderful things that happened at VBS was that it brought our church members together as we ministered to these children. I mean, you had teenagers who were the crew leaders uh, working with younger kids. Uh, you had people who go to the 9 o'clock service working together with the 1030 folks and getting to know them. Uh, you had older people dancing with toddlers as they danced to the music together and learned the moves together. And somebody said to me after that was over on the last day, she said, you know, the best part for me was just being together as a church, doing this together. And I, I thought of that as I thought about this passage from Ephesians where Paul is talking about God has designed us as a community to grow together as a temple of the Lord. So it is good and it is right when we are together in worship and in mission and fellowship. It does feel right because this is according to God's design that we as Christians grow together as a temple for the Lord. And Paul is emphasizing that here in this passage of Scripture. You know, last time we talked from Ephesians 1 that God has adopted us into His family as sons and daughters. The church is a family. Family is meant to be together. In our Gospel reading, we see Jesus looking upon the crowds and He says they're like sheep without a shepherd and He has compassion on them. And so we see Jesus, the Good Shepherd, the shepherd king gathering a flock and feeding them. And Jesus is still doing that. He's still gathering people together under him as the shepherd king. And he is still feeding them. He's still feeding them, spiritually speaking, with the word and with the sacrament. He still is drawing people together as a flock, as a family. This is God's design. That we are together and I want to draw your attention to some things that Paul says about this theme of togetherness in our passage from Ephesians chapter 2. He talks about where this togetherness starts and then how, this toget- how, how we, once we are together, once we are unified, then how we stay together. And then he talks about the whole purpose of this, the purpose of God bringing us together. So let's look at those things here. First of all, the starting place for our togetherness or you might say our unity. And that is at the cross of Christ. Paul, in this passage, he begins, he's he's talking to the Ephesians who are Gentiles. And he says, you know, at one time you were separated from the Messiah. You were separated from Christ in verse 12. And there is this term of derision that you were called by those of us who are Jews, Paul's saying, which is the uncircumcised. You don't have the sign of the covenant. Remember that at one time, you Ephesians, you Gentiles, were separated from Christ, from the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But what has happened? What has changed? Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
brought near at the cross of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, this generation after generation of hostility between Jew and Gentile, broken down at the cross of Christ, thereby killing, excuse me, broken down in, in, the divide, in, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, how? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. There it is again. It happens through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what we see in the early church happening is that Jew and Gentile beginning to get together through Christ. And, of course, that doesn't happen in, in the fullest way. Uh, and it was, it, it caused a lot of spiritual torment for Paul himself to see that Jew and Gentile was, were not fully together at this time. And he longs for that and he's working for that. But that began, and it began because, that unity began because of the cross of Christ. Because at the cross of Christ... Jesus fulfills all these laws, all these commandments, all these ordinances that were so much a part of Jewish identity and culture and that they used to define themselves as the people of God, but also to separate themselves from the Gentiles. Things like circumcision are no longer needed. The kosher laws are no longer needed. And a great example of this, we see it in the book of Acts. It starts to unfold in the book of Acts. Remember Peter's vision in Acts 10? God gives him this vision of, this, of the food, the non-kosher food. Animals of all kinds and birds and even reptiles were thrown in there. This, this buffet laid out for Paul, or Peter. And God says, uh, arise and, and kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to do that. I've never eaten anything unclean or uncommon. And God says, what is, uh, don't call unclean what I have made clean. In other words, now, in light of what Christ has done, these kosher laws don't apply. These uh, ceremonial laws. Because Jesus fulfills perfectly the, those laws. All those laws were pointing to the work of Christ on the cross. And now he's offered his perfect life and the perfect sacrifice. And so now our, our identity and our reconciliation with God, our identity as a people and how we are reconciled with God starts and ends at the cross of Christ. And that's how Christ brings people together. It's through his, his cross where the perfect sacrifice was paid for, for all people who put their trust and faith in him. So there's no place for prideful division, see, any longer because of the cross of Christ. Because the cross says, I, there is no room for pride. I'm not saved by anything that I have done, by any rules or regulations I have kept. Nothing I've achieved. There's no place for boasting or pride. No room for that at all at the foot of the cross. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And so there's no place for these divisions that are oftentimes born out of pride over against another group. In Paul's day, the great division was Jew and Gentile. What about in our day? 
What are some of the divisions that we wrestle with in our day? You know, there's generational divides. Generational divides. The division between the, the younger generation, the I generation, they call them. The millennials. And then the older generation. Now I'm part of, believe it or not, I am considered by my kids part of the older generation. Now. <laughs> A Gen Xer. And then there's the baby boomers and the greatest generation. And if we're not careful, each, you know, there are differences, but we should not let those differences divide us. We should not fall into this trap of defining ourselves over and against another generation. A uh, Christian commentator and writer, Oz Guinness, points out in one of his talks I heard, he said, the biblical definition of generation is simply everybody who's living on earth at the same time. We are all part of the same generation, biblically speaking. And it's useful for marketers to slice us up. And yes, there are cultural differences. But biblically, we are part of the same generation. There are generational divisions, there are political divisions, there are racial divisions, there are divisions of class and education and culture. And these generation, these divisions can generate hostility. What kills the hostility? What breaks the dividing wall is really the cross of Christ. When you come to the, the cross of Christ, and that's a place of humility, of, of brokenness, and it breaks your pride. And so then you're able to reach across the divide and say, hey, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And um, we're all to, together in Christ. There's no place for prideful boasting or division. The ground is level at the cross. So that's the starting point. Unity at the cross. And then Paul describes what holds us together and he uses this wonderful image of a house. Foundation, cornerstone, temple, dwelling place of God. The foundation is, he says, you are fellow citizens with saints, with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And of course, a solid foundation is necessary for the rest of the structure. If you don't have a solid foundation, it doesn't matter what the walls look like, how they're painted. I remember in our old church, we had a foundation problem in our church in Troy. We had this beautiful stained glass and beautiful walls, but they begin to, the, the walls begin to, to crack. And you can paint over it and try to spackle it up, but it's still not going to work as long as the foundation is beginning to go. And so we had to shore up the foundation again and align everything correctly once again. That work had to be done. The foundation is necessary. A solid foundation. And Paul says it's built on the apostles and the prophets. So the apostles are still speaking to us. The apostolic message in the pages of the New Testament. That's our foundation. We build our ministry and our teaching on that foundation. The apostles and the prophets and some people, there's differences in the, common, in the commentaries over what he means by prophets. Is he talking about Old Testament prophets? So he has this nice symmetry. Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles, possibly that might be it. He might be referring to um, prophets during the New Testament time period. There were people who had the gift of prophecy. 
and they spoke God's word to the church. And the, the canon had not been closed at that time. and The New Testament had not been written. So people were given this gift of prophecy and they were speaking the word of God to the church. But the central point here is that it was the word of God that was the foundation coming through the apostles and through the prophets. And everything today we must test against the word of God written. That is the foundation for our life together. So anytime you have a group of people, you know, you, the, the, the question is, how are we going to stay together? Because we have all these different opinions and all these different preferences and our backgrounds and our education. So how do we determine what's the authority here? You know, even in, in, in family life, I mean, you go over to my house and we try to decide what movie are we going to watch? You get eight people chiming in, you know, well, Sam's not quite there yet to chime in, but he's getting close. And the girls want to watch Disney movies and uh, dad wants to watch action. Mom wants to watch romantic comedies, you know, so how do you decide? How do you arbitrate? What's the authority? Uh, usually it's, it's mom. She gets her way. <laughs> dad goes off and reads a book, but um, sometimes that happens. But anytime you get a group of people together, you're going to have these differences of opinion. The foundation for us as a church is the word of God that comes through the apostles and the prophets. And then he says, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone in the ancient world was a massive stone that was used to tie the walls together. And it was perfectly square, cut perfectly square. Everything had to be lined off that to keep the whole building square. And so we have to go back to what does the word of God say? What does the teaching of Christ tell us? And that is our foundation. It's not our personal experience, a personal spiritual experience, certainly not what the culture is trending, what, what we see happening in the culture and being taught in the culture. It's not our own reason, although reason is a tool that God has given us. We're called to use our reason to understand the word of God, this foundation. But that's not the ultimate authority. It's not even church tradition, although that informs us as important. But the ultimate authority is this foundation of the word of God coming through the apostles, the prophets with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that will keep us together. So the more that we delve into the word of God individually, the more unity we'll have. You understand, the more we study the word of God, that's why I love that we have so many Bible studies and so many people here and delving into the word of God, studying the word of God, because then we can say, OK, as we maybe reach an impasse or have disagreement, let's go back to the foundation that we're resting upon here. What does the word of God say that's come through the apostles, the prophets and the teaching of Jesus Christ? And then we can go forward together. That will keep us together. And then Paul talks about this goal. He's building up us together in order to be. And this is wonderful to be a dwelling place of God. To be a holy temple. He says, we are being built together into a holy temple in the Lord. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And in the background here, Paul surely is thinking about these Old Testament structures. The tabernacle. And then the temple that was built for the dwelling of God. This is where God dwelt among his people in the Old Testament time among the people of Israel, in the tabernacle, and then later in the temple. And by the way, I came across a 
a note from an Old Testament scholar, or a biblical scholar, rather, named Gerhard Voss. And he pointed out that in the Old Testament, the word for tabernacle means tent. And the Israelites, of course, were a tent-dwelling people. So the implication is, or uh, the relevance of that, is that by telling Moses that I'm going to dwell in a tabernacle, tabernacle among you, it's indicating God's desire to be with his people right where they are. This is where they dwell. And he's going to dwell among them in this tent. <laughs> and and, it, and it, it demonstrates God's desire and, and, and his willingness to, to come down, if you will, and be with his people in that way. But also, when you see the tabernacle and the temple being constructed, there's an emphasis on God's otherness. Yes, he wants to be with us, but he is other than us. He is holy. He is high and lifted up. There's great distance between God and man. And so the people of God can only enter into his presence through sacrifice and through offering. And the priest can only enter the temple, enter the holy holies in the temple once a year. So there's this, I want to be with you, but... Because of sin and because of my holiness, there's this distance. So God provides a way, but it was only at this place, this location. But now, Paul says, the amazing thing is this same God who wanted to dwell with the people of Israel, but you could only have access to his presence in this location, the tabernacle, the temple. Now, this God has made a way for those of us who are in Christ to be with him. To be actually his dwelling place. Because the Holy Spirit resides in us. Verse 21, he says, the whole structure being joined together grows into this holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I know that as individual Christians, we have the Spirit of God living in us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But here Paul is emphasizing Together, as the people of God, we are the temple of God. He's emphasizing this togetherness. Okay, being joined together, being built together, we become a holy temple. The presence of God dwells among us here as we're together. How would that change our experience of worship as we're gathered together? If we said when we came with the expectation that we're here to meet with the living God and to hear from the living God. And just as people in the Old Testament went to the temple to meet with God and how awesome that experience must have been. So, too, we are coming together when we come to together, we're coming to meet the same living God who met with them there. And he is present among us. By his spirit, and he is here to forgive us. To challenge us, to encourage us, to strengthen us together. How would that change our expectation as we came in this place to worship the Lord? If we if we recalled what Paul is saying here, think of this amazing thought. There's no temple now. We are the temple of the Lord. Together we are being built up in him. What a privilege. What a blessing God has given to us. To be part of that community, this community, the church. So he gathers us at the cross. He holds us together by his word that comes to the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ. And the goal is that we would be a dwelling place of his presence here in this world as we worship him 
serve him together. So we're, we're really called, and this is where Paul is going with this emphasis on unity, is to, is to prize this unity and to protect this unity or preserve this unity that God has given us. This is not something we're manufacturing. God has given this to us. We enter into it and then we're called to cultivate it continually. So, for example, you get a, a statement like this in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. God has called us into this family, into this grace with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Why? Because of what he's just been talking about, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, see the togetherness of the spirit in the bond of peace that requires certain attitudes, humility, gentleness, patience. And if I should put it this way, I could put it this way, putting up with one another sometimes in love, bearing with one another in love. Why? To maintain this unity that God has won for us at the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. So it's something precious and something privileged and something we ought to work to preserve and protect. I saw something interesting on Facebook this week, my brother-in-law and sister are over there with their church in Ireland. And um, so they took a video of a time uh, they, they went to a restaurant slash bar in Ireland that used to be a church. And it's been, you know, kind of gutted out and now it's converted into a, a restaurant and bar. And the interesting thing was that uh, their worship leader, the worship leader of their church brought his guitar along and he sat up there at the front of the of this building and he began to play worship songs as people were drinking and, and dining around him. And, and the guy who was videotaping it was my brother-in-law. He said, we're, we're restoring worship to this place. This used to be a place of worship and we're bringing it back, at least for this time, you know. And then, you know, as the video went on, some people were kind of listening to these words that were lifting up the name of Jesus. It was really a dramatic and stirring video. But as I thought about that video in this passage, I thought, what happened to that church? A lot of churches like that. You know, there are some reasons that some legitimate reasons why churches kind of age out and they fail. But I think a lot of times what happens is they forget what Paul's teaching here. They, they, they forget it's about the cross and they stop preaching the message of the cross. And um, pointing people to the cross for salvation. And they start building on another foundation rather than the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Other things began to take the place. Other things, they begin to build on other ideologies and teachings and it begins to crumble. Or they don't protect the unity and there's attitudes that begin to infect the body of Christ and they forget the privilege of what it means to be together as a dwelling place of the Lord. And disunity happens. They don't work to preserve the peace. And I'm so thankful for what God has done at Church of the Resurrection. Building us. He's building us together as a temple of His Spirit. Let's preserve it, prize it, and protect it by His grace. Amen.